Thank you. <laughs> hi, Cindy. This has become a habit. We're not going to say hi to you anymore, Cindy. Until I, you got to come next week. <laughs> By the way, she's getting really strong. So, um, I mean, Kathy took her to physical therapy yesterday, and she did good, huh? She did really well. She yeah. just had her cane and she walked down and her stairs and up her stairs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. So we've been looking at the end times and we've uh, we've kind of accelerated up to this tribulation period and we've learned a little bit about the Antichrist and and um, and, uh, and and what you know how he comes onto the scene, um, if you will, and. Uh, um, we're, we're looking at the fact that, that uh, this is going to be a, a very uh, turbulent period. In fact, the word tribulation itself means extreme pressure to be pressed to, uh, in, in such an extreme way that, that it helps us even understand the trials and tribulations that we go through in our own life, which is nothing compared to what is going to be coming on the scene in terms of global tribulation. So life tribulation, pick the most turbulent time, the most difficult thing that you've had to deal with in your life so far, and it will look like child's play on a comparative basis to what the world is going to experience. And, uh, and who's going to be there? During this time, the Antichrist will be there. Exactly. And non-believers. non-believers will be there. OK. And so we looked at five reasons last week, just by very quick review. We looked at five reasons why it's important to understand and know um, something about this end times theology, as we call it, because as we sit here, we are all eschatologists, right? How many people last week introduced themselves with the title of eschatologist? Come on, you guys. You're getting, you're getting good at this. You're getting knowledgeable. You're no longer ignorant or uninformed. You're eschatologist because you are studying in time. Can't pronounce it. <laughs> okay, that's, it does sound good, though, doesn't it? It does sound good. But the five reasons... These are just five good reasons. They're not the only reasons, but the five reasons we looked at last week in terms of, of uh, uh, why it's a good idea to understand uh, eschatologically. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I work all day at trying to say that. At, at being an, an eschatologist, meaning studying the end times, is that we know that Scripture in Second Thessalonians tells us not to be uninformed, and it tells us not to be ignorant. And I think that the principle is, of course, as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, for all of Scripture, not just the end times, but not to be uninformed about these things. God wrote it. He wants us to to understand it. And he who did he write his word to? Who? Me. Thank you. That's good. That's the right answer. He he wrote it to me. It's, It's quite personal. It's quite personal. And so the application, therefore, is quite personal, isn't it? And so as we apply the knowledge that we gain through uh, the study of the end times, it, it, it should be relatively life-changing. 
And so uh, we're not to be uninformed. And of course, if it's in his word, he wants us to know it. And of course, the end time teaches us a lot about the nature of God, of Satan. We're going to look at the nature of Satan starting tonight. And uh, and of course, the nature of man. And we think we know a little bit about that until we really get into the study of the end times and the tribulation and the and the judgments that are going to be taking place. And, and uh, boy, we really see uh, in God's word what's going to happen. And therefore, the nature of both uh, or all of God and, and, and of Satan and of, of mankind, that's that would be us. And so um, and it's also important to understand that the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any time. Okay, good. And we look at that and we see that, biblically speaking, there is nothing that is an obstacle to Christ coming for his church. There is nothing left to do. In terms of end times prophecy, the prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the church to be raptured has been fulfilled. And of course, God is taking us into his confidence. He's telling us what's going to happen. Not only that, but tonight we're going to look at not only is he telling us what's going to happen, he is going to be sharing with us some intimate details of what is going to happen for the purpose of taking into his conf- us into his confidence so that we know what our role is. You realize we have a role between now and the rapture. We have a role to play. And he wants to use us in his plan. Now that's a pretty sobering thought when you, when you put it in those terms. But God wants to use us. I don't know about you, but sometimes that makes... You ever feel unworthy? <laughs> like, okay, Lord, who am I? And he says, oh, I know exactly who you are. I see you as fully righteous. I want to use you. Okay? And so he sees us in Christ's righteousness, and he wants to use us. So the predominant view of this rapture we've looked at is that there is a pre-tribulation rapture. That is a predominant view, but it's not the only view. Because there's also a mid-tribulation, meaning at the, at the midway point of this seven-year tribulation that we've been looking at, some people believe that that's the point at which the church is going to be taken off of the planet. And then there are others that would uh, suggest to you that they can support biblically that there is a post-tribulation uh, rapture. And as you know, uh, my, I've come down on the position of a pre-tribulation rapture, and uh, could I be wrong? It's possible. I believe the Bible is very, very supportive of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. In fact, there is an incredible amount of support for that um, uh, above and beyond a mid or a post-tribulation rapture. So when you hear me speak, you're going to hear me, as I've suggested before, talk about it on that basis, coming from that particular bias. But it's not something to divide over. It's something that we could certainly debate. And um, I, I'm not interested in debating R.C. Sproul because I've read his books and he's a very smart man. I don't want to debate him uh, because he's the one that challenged me most in thinking through whether I really did believe in, in, in a pre, pre-tribulation rapture. But nonetheless, that's where I have come down. And so uh, at some point, we need to come down on, on, on that 
theologically uh, somewhere. You got to land someplace. You can't be every place. You got to be someplace, and you have to leave some room, okay, for grace to be extended. So. Uh, for those that wouldn't agree with us. And we also know that the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ are two different things. Right? And we're going to look at that in some great detail later. But the rapture and the second coming of Christ are going to be two different things. And we also know that the Antichrist ushers in the tribulation period by doing what? He signs a covenant with Israel for a peace that is supposed to last for seven years. Interesting, we're going to look at that number seven a little bit tonight uh, because it's important throughout Scripture and certainly within the context of Revelation um, and, the, and the seal and trumpet uh, and bold judgments. But um, he is going to usher in this peace treaty and tonight we're going to look at, well, what has to happen in order for there to be peace? Because we think about it in the context of what's going on in Israel today. Hmm, kind of a precursor to what the Bible tells us it might look like. But tonight, we're going to leave here and we're going to know exactly what is going to be happening in Israel and in that region of the world because the Bible tells us. It tells us precisely what it is going to look like and therefore why this Antichrist is going to be revealed so that he can even usher in a peace treaty. Because uh, we think about it in terms of a peace treaty today. But wait until you see what the Bible has to say about what the real peace treaty is going to look like and why there is going to need to be a peace treaty. So if you would turn to Revelation 17, 8, oh wait. Mikey, Mike. Going here, and I forget the, I forget the handout. As is normal, the uh, the scripture references are in order. Revelation seventeen, verse eight. Everybody there? Mm-hmm. Who would like to read that? Susan, you have a brand new tablet. I do. I'm trying to get that. And <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to find it on her brand new tablet. <laughs> okay, looking for a volunteer? 17.8. The beast which you saw, which once was, now is not. And we'll come up at it with it and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. For about four weeks now, I've been talking about this period of time that is fast approaching and it will result in a tribulation that will take place throughout the entire world. And yet, Revelation 17.8 says, not only will there be tribulation, but y'all won't be there. Okay, so I'd like you to repeat that. Y'all won't be there. Okay. 
Because Revelation 17, 8, in case you were wondering, says that the beast was and he is and that he comes back. We talked about that last week in terms of scripture talking about the beast potentially being murdered in a violent kind of a way and being brought back to life of a resurrected antichrist according to the biblical account. Now, we don't know all the details. We just know that the word in the original language says a violent death is what the word means. And I think we have to assume that we can, uh, we can interpret that quite literally in so far as the Antichrist dying and then being brought back to life because that would be astonishing, would it not be? And we also know that there will be miraculous signs and wonders that are taking place during this time, not the least of which is the resurrection of this of this man uh, that is masquerading okay, as the Savior. And isn't that interesting that he would masquerade as a Savior and then somehow <laughs> Satan would, would have the power? We don't know. Scripture is not absolutely clear on this. But we know that there is a resurrection. He comes back to life. And then, of course, at that point, he claims to be God at, at the, about the halfway point of this tribulation period. But it says the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life, which means that those people whose names have been written are not only not going to be astonished, they won't be there to witness it. So be very careful when those people that would come to you and say that there is no rapture would use this particular uh, biblical reference to suggest that because it's totally out of context. The context is that he was and he is and um, the context is at the moment. Okay. So at the moment that this is taking place, the inhabitants of the earth are only unbelievers because their names were not written in the book of life. And if you're not on the face of the earth during the tribulation, it means that you were raptured. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. So we, y'all, won't be there. Okay? And, I, and I'll continue to say that because there's a lot of misconception about, about what the Bible says about that. We won't be there. So if we're not going to be there, what is the point of the tribulation? That was a question from a couple of weeks ago. Why is God going to provide for this tribulation period, allow it to happen, participate in it, actually have had a good deal of planning, if that's what God does, so that the tribulation period even has to take place. Wouldn't it just be easier if God said, can't we just do this over? Because God can do anything. Wouldn't it just be easier for him to say, okay, enough is enough. Disobedience. I've, I've, it's all, you know, the, the thermometers when we're raising money for something, you know, if we're going to build a new building and it goes 100,000 and then it goes, you know, and the thermometer gets all the way to the top and then and then when they've reached the goal, they have the picture of the thermometer, it bursts at the top, you know, and all the stuff, whatever's in there uh, comes out, right? So that's, that's how I picture God. Isn't God there? Couldn't, couldn't he just say, okay, done, done. He can't, Doris. No, because he's just. Oh. Salvation are going to have to pay for their bad 
Okay. And their treatment of Israel. And their treatment of Israel. Okay. You guys have read the book. <laughs> oh, so there's a there's a grace and a love component to this tribulation period that most people view as being horrific in terms of what is going to take place and what people are going to have to experience that we're going to see tonight. So I found at least five reasons that the tribulation period has to happen. Five. I believe there's more. But there's five really good ones that Scripture is absolutely clear about. So, let's turn to... Okay, I'm going to ask you to turn to some places that are not real familiar to you now. It's okay if you've got to look in the index or your tabs. Okay, because we've got to go to Zechariah. <laughs> yep. Back there towards the prophet end of the Old Testament. And what we see while you're trying to get to Zechariah 13, verse 8, we're going to see that there is a purpose for this tribulation, as Dora said, for Israel. There is a purpose for Israel. And God makes it very clear. You see, God is going to refine the Jewish people by fire. We see that metaphorically throughout Scripture where fire is used and, and what happens with gold when you put, when you put it in, into, a, into a high heat situation? Yeah, purifies it. The impurities go away. Yeah, it, the impurities go away. And that's the word picture that we have here in Zechariah. And if somebody is there, if they could read Zechariah 13... Verse 8 and 9. And the whole land declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. The Jewish people will call upon his name. Now, that's not common, is it? Okay, that's not common. There is a refining by fire. And Zechariah prophesies that two-thirds will be struck down. The, the Bible tells us that only a remnant of Israel will be saved. And we're going to look at this in more detail later in terms of are people saved during this tribulation period? Because it's a horrific event that's going to be taking place for seven years. And so we see right here that Zechariah is saying that, yeah, there's going to be a remnant, but what's going to happen initially? Two-thirds will be struck down and perish. Now, think about that for just a second. There are seven uh, million Jews in the United States. There's roughly seven million Jews in, uh, in Israel. And then there's a smattering around other places in the world. So, so for purposes of argument today, we have about 14 million Jews in, in the world. Okay? And the Jewish people are God's people. And they've always been God's people. And God chose them as his chosen people. And God never goes back on what he says he's going to do, ever. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. And yet, the 
um, the prophet Zechariah says that there will be a refining by fire and two thirds initially will be they'll be wiped out. That's hard teaching. We don't like to think about God that way, do we? We just don't. And a lot don't teach about God that way, do they? Because they only like to teach about the good stuff that God does. Well, let me tell you, that's not the way it works, because that's not what he told us in his word. And Zechariah says that not only is he going to wipe out two-thirds of them, but they are then going to cry out. Turn to Rev- uh, excuse me, Romans 9, 27. So in God's purpose for the for Israel, he is going to refine them. Okay? Think about it in terms of fire and gold. Okay? The impurities from Israel are going to be removed. Now Jesus had a lot to say, didn't he? To the religious elite in in Israel. Called them brutal vipers in some cases. Why? Because they they were disobedient. This is a group of people just like us, obstinate and disobedient. Okay? And they've always been that way. Romans 9, 27 and 28, somebody. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. It's fascinating. So these two scripture verses, uh, one in Zechariah and one in Romans, are are linked, aren't they? And so uh, as we see in Romans, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel that there is only going to be a remnant that is saved. The same thing that Zechariah prophesied, only a remnant of Israel will be saved. And not only that, but the Lord is going to carry it out. With And if you have a, uh, uh, you may have a different version, because I know you're reading out of the New King James. Uh, does the NIV say, with speed and finality? Yes. I like that thought for thought translation, because, because uh, the, the, the book of Romans says that these things are going to happen with speed and finality. Speed is speed, and finality means it's done. It's over. And so right there in the book of Romans, we're seeing that that this is very unlike the God that we know, isn't it? Because doesn't it seem to you that God takes his time? Is he patient with you? He's patient with me, I'll tell you. It seems like in our way of thinking, God is slow. God is slow. Okay. So think about that for just a second, because we already know the tribulation period is seven years. It seems like almost nothing biblically happens that quick in a seven year period. But we know it's seven years. We know what the Antichrist does in ushering in peace. And we know that in Romans, he says, the writer of Romans, who was, says that this is going to happen with speed and finality, this refining of the Jews. The second purpose that God is going to provide for this tribulation period is that he has a purpose for the Gentiles. Because if you're not a Jew, what are you? That's everybody else. There is a purpose for everybody else for this tribulation period. And you see, God, uh, here comes the hard teaching, but it's true. 
God is just. And he is going to punish the Gentile nations for their disobedience, their evil, and their persecution of Christians and Jews. Okay? Because we're going to look at martyrdom in a little bit. But there have been the persecution of God's people from day one. Remember back in Exodus and what was happening with Pharaoh and Pharaoh wouldn't let him out of Egypt. We'll look at that in a, in a little while as well. But there is a purpose for the Gentiles. So Isaiah, that's an easier one to find. Isaiah was kind of a popular prophet, wasn't he? I don't know back then if he was any more popular than Zephaniah was, but in our way of viewing things, he seems more popular. We go to the book of Isaiah a lot more than we do to some of the other minor prophets, that's for sure. Isaiah 13, 11 through 13. Says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Right there in verse 11, um, God tells us that he is going to punish the world for its evil. There has been evil in the world since when? Since Adam and Eve. Yeah, I think it was a fruit issue. Okay? And since since man and his free will decided that he wanted to be God, we've been dealing with this, haven't we? And so there is going to be some punishment for the wickedness that exists for those that have not accepted Christ. There has been there will be punishment for those that have been disobedient in every way. According to uh, according to Isaiah, and uh, if somebody's already in Joel, is anybody in Joel yet? The next one. Oh, Susan is in Joel. Joel three two. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they shattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. There's the Gentiles, and they were just persecuting the Jews, and they spread them all out all over the place, didn't they? They were scattered around all over the world, and they've been running scared, haven't they? Until what, 1948, and then they got their land back, and so there they are. That's interesting, isn't it? So since 1948, they've had their own land, and that they're surrounded by people that hate them. They're surrounded by people groups that hate them. Those are Gentiles, Okay. And there is going to be some punishment that is going to take place. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. Thirdly, the the, uh, tribulation is going to be used to reveal Satan for who he is. You see, because if you stop and think about it, there is a whole lot of people over a long period of time that have, uh, excuse my language, but poo-pooed Satan. No big deal. Well, let me tell you, Satan is a big deal. And we're going to see that in the tribulation because when he is unleashed and the restrainer is removed, we're going to see the true nature of Satan. We don't have an appreciation because there's a spiritual battle that's going on around right now. 
because Satan does not like the fact that we're hanging out here together. Okay? But sometimes we don't feel it. Other times we do. Other times you have that sense of that spiritual battle that's going on, don't you? And But most of the time, because we live in the physical world mostly, okay, it's hard for me to understand the spiritual realms in some ways. And yet, there will be a time during the tribulation where that will be removed. And people that are going to go through the tribulation, Satan will be revealed for who he is. Y'all won't be there. Okay? Y'all won't be there. But Satan in Revelation 12.12, if anybody is there looking ahead on your sheet. Susan's there, I know, because she has a new iPad. No, what is that? No, it's just a... It's a tablet. Yeah. She's got her Bible on there. That's awesome. You are electronically connected to God. Now it's a speech. Perfect. Revelation 12.12 says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. He knows his time is short. See, see the devil knows. The, the devil has the handbook. He's read what God is going to do. He knows that he is doomed. He knows the outcome. He knows the time is short. He even knows that he is going to have a period of time where he will be completely unleashed and he will have free reign, something that he has not had up to this particular point. Wow. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what must be going through Satan's mind. But I have to think, by using my imagination, that he's really looking forward to that. He's really got to be looking forward to that. Because uh, Revelation 12, 12 says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Who's that? <laughs> me. I like it. Olivia says, me. You're right. It's me. We're going to be there. And so the fourth reason or the fourth purpose, there is a purpose for God in this. There is a purpose for God, for God himself, because you don't have to turn there. But Exodus five, I mentioned it earlier, is is the the story of Pharaoh and the Israelites when they were where? In Egypt. And what was happening there? They were being mistreated, weren't they? And they wanted to leave, didn't they? And Pharaoh wouldn't let them, would he? And so what did God do? Plagues. Remember the plagues in Exodus? You can go back and read it before bed tonight. It's a great bedtime story. I'm telling you, the plagues came on Egypt. They came on Egypt and they were, they were gnarly, weren't they? That's a New Testament term, gnarly. And so, anyway, these were gnarly things. And what we're going to see in the purposes for God is this, that God will not be mocked. You see, there is going to be vindication on a worldwide basis. This was something that happened in Egypt to a group of people. But during the tribulation, God as we will see tonight, is going to unleash some uh, judgments on the earth and there will be no question. Okay, let me repeat that. There will 
be no question that God is God. No question whatsoever. And of course, the fifth reason, biblically speaking, is that there's a per- there's a there's a purpose for for believers. Now, wait a minute. Maybe we have to categorize that for just a second because if there's a reason for believers, which believers? The ones that are still here. Okay, Doris has read the book. So, because there will be people, believe it or not, there will be people during this period that come to Christ. Many of whom will be martyred. Because we're going to see later that in the tribulation period, if you refuse the mark of the beast that we'll look at later, and you accept the mark of God, okay, that is, that is a death sentence. It is a death sentence. And there will be martyrdom like we have never seen. It will also be very challenging to come to Christ because we are going to see that during this period, you would think that with all of these things going on, people would go, okay, God, I get it. And I repent. But the Bible tells us, nope, that doesn't happen. In fact, it says many, many people curse God as opposed to repent. Wow. Hard for us to understand that because the Holy Spirit reveals to us something entirely different. Something entirely different. So there's five really good reasons that God is going to provide for this tribulation period that is very difficult. Very difficult. See, in Revelation 7, you don't have to turn there. Um, Revelation 7, 9, and 10 talks about there being a great multitude that nobody could count that were in white robes that were standing before the throne. And those people are those that were martyred. And they were the martyrs we see in Scripture. There were martyrs. The white robes, by the way, uh, are symbolic for, for righteousness. They were standing in full righteousness. How does God see you right now? In a white robe. Okay? So, so as Richie likes to say, look around you. <laughs> and now imagine every one of you, every person that has put their faith in Christ is wearing a white robe of righteousness from God's point of view. Oh, how I wish we could just see that every day. I wish we could see each other and ourselves, how God sees us. It's hard, though, isn't it? Fully righteous? That's really hard. So, um, so that's, that's what's happening. That's the purpose. So God's purposes are for all of these different people, including himself, and he is just. So the tribulation period must take place. It is written. It is written, and he's not going to change his mind. It is written. And everything is in motion. So given this judgment, and given this wrath that we know about that is coming, this is God's wrath, God's punishment, God's judgment, just judgment, and given the fact that the the Antichrist is going to be unleashed and Satan is going to have his way on the earth for a period of time, fast and short, according to your It'll be quick, 
and it'll be a it'll come on fast and it won't last very long because seven years in the scheme of eternity is not a very long period of time. And yet, everybody sitting in this room is going to be judged. We've been forgiven, Doris says. Okay, Doris says, all right, show of hands. Who believes Doris is right that we will not be judged for our sins? I'm going with Doris. When in doubt, go with Doris. No, no, I'm just, just having fun, Doris. We will not be judged for our sins. The Bible says that what happened? Why won't we be judged for our sins? You're all right. Jesus took care of that. And yet at the same time, if we're going to understand the judgment of God on the earth and on the evilness of mankind, and if we're going to understand judgment and tribulation, and if we're going to understand the end time so that we are completely prepared to help those that don't believe because they don't want to, generally speaking then we really need to know what the judgment looks like for us, don't we? It's important because in order to understand the ultimate judgment of God, we need to understand as believers, what is the believer's judgment? Because Romans 14, 8 through 12 tells us, and you can turn there if you'd like to, or I'll just read um, the, the, um, uh, the portion of that scripture that I think is important for understanding the believer's judgment. And that is that in verse 10, it says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. And verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That's scary. No? What's the account? How we're used the gifts we were given. Same thing. Same thing. Olivia's shaking her head. Yes? Yeah. We are going to be held account for what did we do with the time and the talents and the treasures that God gave us while we're here today. Okay? And if He gives us tomorrow. He's going to want to know how we do with that tomorrow, too. Okay? He wants to know. So we have this knowledge because we're not going to be ignorant about what things are going to be happening during the end times. And God wants us to use that, too. Why? Because he wants us to know. And he wants us to use that. I love that. We're all sitting here in this room because we're, 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 we're gaining some, some head knowledge, which doesn't do a bit of good unless we transfer it down here and then we actually do something with it. Right? And so that's what he expects us to do. And, uh, and for the most part, I think we do that. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's, that's obedience. Um, and, uh, and, and what a pleasure that is, right? To be able to do some things that, that please the Lord. Okay. Um, and uh, so we will be judged for that. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. I'll just start in verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day it will disclose it. 
because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test. Oh, it sounds like the Jews all of a sudden, doesn't it? So we're going to be refined by fire and tested by fire. And it said, what will test what sort of work each of us has done? Not a works for salvation. What did we do with what we were given? Because when we are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, we're already standing before him in our glorified bodies after the rapture. It's not a salvation issue. It's an issue of what did you do with what I gave you? That's all he wants to know. It's a whole different judgment than what we're going to be looking at here in just a few minutes. So it's about rewards. Because did you realize that once we are judged for what we did with what we were given, we're already in heaven and he just wants to know what we did so that he can issue us rewards because that's on the plus side or loss. So it's almost as though in one way we start out with this bucket and then the bucket is a bucket full of rewards. And based on what we did as followers of Jesus Christ in our life here, okay, because not all of us are supposed to do the same stuff because he, he made us unique and different, each one of us. Okay? And so he's going to take the bucket and he's going to say, ah, oh, let's leave that stuff in the bucket because, Pat, you did good, bro. Everything is good. But in these areas, you know, it was might have been a little bit too much football, dude, so I'm going to take a few things out. Okay? All right. Now, I joke about that, but seriously, there are going to be rewards and there will be a loss of rewards. And so that's what 1 Corinthians tells us. Our salvation is secure, but God wants us to be rewarded fully. 2 John 7 through 11. 2 John 7 through 11. What chapter in John? Oh, okay. Just a test. Just a test. Okay. So Second John seven through eleven in in verse uh, in verse eight it says, but but that you have been rewarded fully. God wants us to be rewarded fully. What a pleasure it is going to be to be sitting at the judgment seat of Christ and have Him say, Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's all. Here's the rewards. Here's the rewards. But the truth of the matter is that there will be people before the judgment seat of Christ that are believers in Jesus Christ that are going to get very little reward. Because they did very little with what they were given. And we have parable after parable to teach us that lesson. And we have a lot of scripture references that teach us about, about our rewards in heaven. A lot. And so we even have the analogies of running the race. Okay, Paul talks about running the race. Nobody runs the race. To lose. What's the point of entering the race? We want to run the race to win. Alright? That's why Wes has a bet. Well, the kids were beating you off the line. So you got the bet and now you can win. Right? Winning is good. <laughs> Winning is good. So these rewards then, of course, last for an eternity. And then ultimately... Ultimately, Jesus is going to focus really on three things. And it's important before we go into the difficult part of what's going to happen in Israel in the Middle East. According to Ezekiel, we have to look at what are the three things that Jesus is going to be focused on when each one of us individually stands before him. Hmm. 
Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. We're going to look at three scriptures. And then we're going to jump in to see what's going to happen so that the Antichrist can usher in the tribulation with a peace treaty. Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Slave or free. Serve wholeheartedly. The Lord is going to reward, reward each one of us for whatever good. Good is, a, is, a, is an action word. Okay? Whatever action we took with what we were given. So he is going to judge our actions. So what did you all do? That's all he wants to know. The crazy thing is he already knows. <laughs> and that, that's the wild thing, isn't it? I can't explain that. All I know is that he already knows. And yet we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And everything will be laid bare. All of it. It's going to be like, okay, Lord. You know, isn't it funny? Because sometimes don't you think you can kind of hide things from God? <laughs> you, ever, <laughs> you ever have that thought? It's a, it's a crazy thought, isn't it? Well, you know, at that point, at that point, everything will be will be laid bare, and every action. And 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 my guess is, uh, I can't support this, but my guess is it's going to happen about that quick. We're not going to be sitting with Jesus, you know, at, in a conference uh, at some Christian conference center in heaven, uh, in, a, in a room together, and uh, and he's going to be talking about. You know, we're not going to have this big, long, drawn-out conversation. I don't believe. I think it's just going to be revealed. Okay. And we're going to know him for who he is, and he's going to know us for who we are. And then there, were, there are going to be rewards, both given and taken away. So he is going to care about our actions. He's also going to care about our thoughts. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Somebody there? My conscience is clear. That does not make me innocent. It is the Lord, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Yeah, praise. And I put in parens around praise the word rewards. Because God is going to say, ah, well done, good and faithful servant. Many of us are going to hear that, I hope. And yet, at the same time, he says, judge nothing before its appointed time. Because who's the judge? Oh, boy. I have to confess that that is something that I have really had to be working on a lot of late. I'm talking about the last couple of years. It's really easy to be judgmental, isn't it? Uh, this person looks like that or does this or you name it. I mean, we're all pretty good at that. Um, uh, some of us better than others, perhaps. But um, he says, hey, don't be judgmental because he's got it. <laughs> okay, he's got that. We don't. But he says that at the appointed time, we'll, re we'll receive our reward from God. He cares about our thoughts and our actions. And then ultimately, he cares about our words. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty five through 37 says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And listen to this, verse 37. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's stuff going into the bucket and stuff coming out of the bucket. We need to watch our tongue, don't we? We need to watch our tongue. Because... 
inadvertently, it happens in the church all the time because we're very imperfect people, aren't we? And we try to be loving, and I tell you, this is a very loving place, and yet we can get feelings hurt, can't we? Our nature comes out, and so it's what we do after that that, that matters, okay? But he cares about our words, so be considerate. Be considerate. So this is the believer's judgment, and there will be rewards given and rewards taken away. It's clear. It's very clear. But there's a contrast of that to what happens in God's ultimate judgment and ultimately what he does in this tribulation period. If you would like to check out the scripture references that I identified there in terms of crowns, okay? I just gave them to you because the Bible talks about having these crowns and we get we get crowns and there's different kinds of crowns for for uh, what is a crown by the way? What's a crown, Mary? You put it on your head. You put it on your head. Yeah. See this like a king. Like a king. Yeah. I love that you watch those those movies of old, you know, and and uh, they just drive me crazy. Um, but you know, you watch those things. Most of them are so poorly done. Um, but anyway, you watch those movies, and the king is sitting on his throne, and this it's this grandiose thing, you know, and he's wearing these flowing clothes, and he's and uh, you know Hollywood puts him in this in this crown, and it's and it's built, it's got jewels, and it's in all that kind of stuff, and that's the picture that we get. That's the picture that we get. But if you take a look at these at these scripture references and you can read them later, what it talks about is it talks about the crowns that we are going to receive and, and who's going to receive them. In fact, James 1.12 just says that for those that persevere under trial, they're going to get a crown of life. And for those that are shepherds, okay, so if you're a shepherd, okay, those people are going to get a, a, a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. And, and, uh, and if you have self-control in your life, Okay, And if you access the power of the Holy Spirit, you will have self-control. And if you try to do it on your own, I guarantee you, you won't. But uh, to those, there will be a crown that is imperishable. And all of these crowns, of course, are imperishable. And then, of course, uh, ultimately, there is a crown of righteousness to everyone who does one simple thing. Every believer that just longs for the coming of Christ will have an imperishable crown of of righteousness. Sounds familiar because he's already said he sees you as fully righteous. Your crown is already waiting for you. That's the minimum. You may have multiples, but there is a minimum of a crown that is a crown of righteousness that technically you're already wearing the white linen robe of righteousness and God wants to give you that crown of righteousness. When you sit at that at that judgment seat, that's I'm good with that. <laughs> Maybe it's shaped like a ball cap because I'm not sure what kind of hair I'm going to have there. But I'm, a crown is good. A crown is good. So uh, and then of course there's a marriage in heaven, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to deal with that some other time. This all could happen, by the way. All of this believer's judgment could happen in the blink of an eye or it may take the entire seven year of the tribulation period. We're not told. I would speculate that it would be quick. 
I'm going to speculate that it's going to be quick. Because it's kind of like the dead will be raised first. And then the living in Christ at the rapture will come right after. It's going to be like bang, bang. And my sense of reading scripture is that this judgment seat of Christ and and the crowns and the rewards uh, is going to happen very, very quickly in the heavenly realms. Well, I was just going to say we're not going to have to stand in line. <laughs> I think we'll each one receive our reward at the same time because God is everywhere. Uh-huh. You know, he can deal with each one of us individually mm-hmm. at the same time. In the blink of an eye. So we're given clues. We're not told exactly, but we're given clues. So, you know, it says that, that, that this rapture is going to happen like a, like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. It's going to happen real quick. People don't expect it. Poof. So the little video that I showed, that 32-second video of, of, this is my favorite rapture video on YouTube, um, where the guy's sitting at his desk and he's hanging out and he hears the trumpet and then, poof, the chair spins around and he's gone. It was like, wow, trumpet gone. Trumpet gone. Trumpet gone. I mean, that fast. And I'm thinking that that's exactly how the, the, the reward is going to take place. I'm, uh, that, that's just, that's, that's God. That's an attribute of God. But what's happening on the earth while this is taking place? Because we're not going to be there. So what's happening? All hell breaks loose. Um, yeah, so you know, we've given this account. Where do we need to go to see what's going to be happening either concurrently with God's church being pulled out of the earth or perhaps just subsequent to. Some think that maybe even it's going to happen a little bit before. I'm not in that camp. I'm in, a, I'm in an after the rapture uh, position on what we're going to look at in Ezekiel next. But... But um, Ezekiel, the prophet, has a lot to say. See, here's what's going to happen, because the Antichrist is going to usher in the tribulation period, and lots of bad stuff is going to start happening in this tribulation period. But the first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be peace. But what has to happen before peace can take place? You can speak up. It's okay. But for there to be a covenant, what has to be happening? Just generally speaking. I mean, for there to be peace, there has to be a war. Okay? I mean, there has to be a warring faction going on. Or what's the point of peace? What's the point of peace? So, so if you really are interested in this, take Ezekiel and dive into it. In fact, what we're going to be talking about tonight is chapters 36 and 37. But the whole of Ezekiel is pretty interesting. It's a challenging book because it's prophetic in nature. But, but, um, but the scriptures that we're going to be taking a look at relative to what has to happen in order for the Antichrist to, to be revealed and for there to be this peace treaty, there has, to be, there has to be war. And I think you're going to be able to relate to what the prophet Ezekiel has to say because it's fascinating what's going on in the world today. It's not much of a stretch. When you see what Ezekiel has to say, and you just turn on uh, 
either one, Fox or CNN, I don't care. <laughs> and you can watch the five or the seven or whoever they are, uh, and, uh, you know, or, or, or Riley or, or, or the people on the other one. I, whatever it is, watch any of them, okay? Because there are some fascinating things that are going on in the world today. Because Ezekiel says that there is going to be a relatively secure Israel. He says Israel is going to be secure. Let me ask you a question. Is Israel relatively secure today? Israel is this tiny little place over there. It's tiny. Its economy is minuscule. I mean, minuscule. Okay? But it's got some pretty important dirt. The real estate there, biblically, is very important. And Ezekiel says that Israel will be in a position of relative security. Who is Israel's largest ally? Ever fly any missions over there? No. (laughs) Didn't get to go. I'm telling you, the United States is the world's superpower today. Some would argue that, but (laughs) notwithstanding... Notwithstanding, who is Israel's largest ally? The United States and perhaps Britain. Okay, and so we have a lot of money, and we have a lot invested. I'm just forget Ezekiel for a second. Let's just talk about let's let's talk about today. Um, and and Israel, although all of the people around them hate Israel, I mean, hate with a capital H, and Israel is over there all by themselves. You know, I mean, they're lobbing a few little bombs on them, you know, but it's pretty minor stuff, actually. In the scheme of things, it's pretty minor stuff because they're pretty secure because the, the, the 800-pound gorilla in the room could be launching airstrikes and could, if they wanted to, the they is, is, that would be the United States, the they could annihilate virtually anybody that wanted to destroy Israel right now. So, what do you think all this is going on? Iran wants to nuke them, and you know, we're trying to keep them from having a nuke. And It's just interesting, isn't it? I'm not relating it exactly to Ezekiel. I'm just saying that there's going to be a time when Israel is secure, according to Ezekiel. So, the Bible says that this security is going to be in place. Until a coalition of Israel's enemies come together. Anybody watching the news lately? There will be a coalition, according to Ezekiel. You can read it. According to Ezekiel, there will be a coalition and there will be an army that is assembled from a coalition of multiple countries. The countries are listed. Now, they're not the same names as we use today. Some of them are. Some of them are exactly the same countries. But uh, if you look at a map from when you were in grammar school and you look at a map today, a lot of those countries have had their names changed. That's in your lifetime. Okay? When did Ezekiel write this? A long time ago. Okay? Ernie was young. <laughs> the point is that Ezekiel says that there will be these countries that assemble an army and their sole purpose and objective is to wipe 
for lack of a better term, the Jews off the planet. That's what they do. So they invade. There is an invasion of a gigantic army that is assembled and there will be Arabs and Muslims and there will be there will be everybody that wants the Jewish nation wiped off of the planet is going to come together and they are going to invade this little tiny helpless country. And I believe that's going to happen after the rapture. You know why? I'm, I don't know. I could be wrong. But I believe it's going to happen after the rapture because I believe that the United States is going to be decimated because there's more Christians in the United States than probably any other country around. And there's going to be a lot of people gone. There is going to be chaos like you've never seen because a lot of weird things <coughs> have never happened. And um, let me tell you, Fox and CNN are going to be trying to explain this one every night. And it is going to be chaotic. And so there isn't going to be an ally because Ezekiel says also... 36 and 37, chapters 36 and 37, that Israel will stand alone. Israel will stand alone. Nobody is going to be there to help. And the only reason that Israel isn't wiped off the face of the earth today is because Israel isn't standing alone. So... One thing is going to have to happen for Israel not to stand alone. Because I would submit to you, the armies are already being assembled. Just like the Jews have already assembled everything that they need to reestablish the, the temple when peace comes. They've got all the stuff. It's done. All they've got to do is do the tilt-up. Okay? All right. And so the only thing that is lacking right now for Israel to stand alone is the rapture. And when the rapture happens, there are already all of these countries that are conspiring to come together and wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, you can read books by all kinds of people that say there's going to be nuclear attacks. And there's a lot of, of speculation about how that's going to happen. I don't care to speculate on any of that because, frankly, I don't know. It's all speculation. If the Bible doesn't say it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reiterate it. I can't because I have no idea. I know what the Bible says. There will be a coalition of, of troops from many countries, all that hate Israel, that are going to invade her. And she's tiny and she has no help. And yet, Ezekiel says, Israel survives. How does that happen? God does it. Interesting. Huh. They've read Ezekiel. <laughs> but it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'm telling you that Ezekiel wrote this uh, uh, when Ernie was young, and so that was a long time ago. And so what's happening here is that they've got no help. 
Israel has no help. There is an army. We're not told of how many, but there, I mean, we're talking about probably millions of people invade Israel. And, there, and Israel only has a population of like 9 million people or something small. Don't quote me on that. Um, I know there's 7 million Jews in, in, in Israel um, and the rest of them are spread around. But nonetheless, there will be a huge army. And, and Isaiah 54, 17 says this. Isaiah says, no weapon that is fashioned against you, Israel, will succeed. No weapon fashioned against you, Israel, will succeed. That's what Isaiah said. The end times prophecy is not revelation, guys. That's just going to tell us what's going to happen. The prophetic word starts way earlier than that. And so as we're looking at Ezekiel and Isaiah talking about what's going to happen in Israel, this army is fashioned. It's, it's a great coalition. You know, I love that Barack Obama always talks about, with all due respect, these great coalitions that, that are being put together to fight everybody. And it's 99.99999 the United States and it's point zero 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 one everybody else. That's not what this is going to look like. This is going to be a coalition of people that get together, Gentiles that get together. And they are going to say, who, yeah, let's take them down. And God is going to say, ah, Israel, do the, Isra do the Israelis know this? Do the Jews know what Isaiah says? Yes. Are they familiar with Ezekiel? Yes. Okay. And are they waiting for Messiah? Yes. All right. Let's just get that clear. An army of gargantuan proportions is going to invade. And I don't care how many F-16s they got. It doesn't make any difference. It, it just doesn't because they're not going to have to really use them. Now, they probably will. But God is going to protect them because what does he do? Ezekiel 36 and 37 says that for his purposes, he first sends an earthquake. We hear a lot about earthquakes in Scripture, don't we? God uses earthquakes, but he says that he is going to send an earthquake that is so strong that the mountains will be thrown, thrown down. We can interpret that literally. That is not a figurative speech. So in context, there will be in that region, just that region, not the world, just that region, an earthquake, an earthquake so big that the armies invading are going to actually see some, not all, it doesn't say all, it says some mountains are going to crumble. That's a scary thing. Okay? So think about it. This is real world stuff. There's going to be an earthquake. Then what happens? Ezekiel 38.21. If you're in Ezekiel, just go there. Now, in Ezekiel 38.21, the fighters, this army, this, this, these, these people, there's going to be lots of them. Okay? And it's a mountainous territory over there. Somebody read Ezekiel 38.21. I will summon a sword. Go ahead. Go ahead, Marvin. <laughs> it was my play. That was a verse. Uh, Ezekiel 38.21. 21, okay. I will summon a sword. A sword, yeah. Somebody asked how to read this. <laughs> Every, I will. 
summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. That's enough. Okay. Ezekiel says that after the earthquake, there is going to be God provided in fighting. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> I, 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 Thousands of years. You know, I mean, th- these people have been fighting amongst themselves for a long time. They come together because they are in one accord that they are going to wipe Israel off the map. That's their objective. An earthquake comes that scares the army. Uh-oh. This is big. I don't know what they're thinking. I just know that God's word says there's going to be a huge earthquake. The next thing that happens, they start killing each other. The armies of the coalition somehow are so upset with one another and so scared that they lose perspective. And instead of going after Israel, God turns them against each other. And now they're warring against each other in Israel. They're in the country that they want to wipe off the map to kill the people that are in that country, God's people, off the map. And yet God turns it around and they start killing each other. That's what Ezekiel 38, 21 says. Wow. Tribulation. Now that's tribulation. There is a war going on and there are boots on the ground and they're killing each other. And then, if that wasn't enough, keep reading in Ezekiel. And it says... That, in verses 22 through 23, with pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain. That's the first next thing he's going to bring. It just doesn't get any easier for these guys. I mean, I don't know what the generals are thinking, but I'm thinking that they're thinking that this, this is, I mean, man, what, what's going to happen next? Well, it says there's going to be a torrential rain. There's going to be hail stones my guess is they're big later in scripture we're going to see in one of the in one of the judgments there are hailstones that weigh 100 pounds not this doesn't say these are going to be 100 pounders but there's going to be hailstones and with fire and brimstone i will magnify myself sanctify myself and make myself known in the sight of many nations and they will know i am the lord See, the thing is, is that these armies are going to be killing each other, and then God is going to be bringing all of these environmental factors to, to bear. I mean, there is going to be, there's going to be torrential rain, hailstone, fire, brimstone. They can't get away. Have you seen that territory over there? There's not a tree to be found. It's not like you're going to go hide someplace. Okay? They're exposed. They're killing each other, and then God is bringing this on them. And so this coalition of fighters are dying. And it's massive. It's massive. Now think about this, church. Y'all aren't going to be there. And there, <laughs> praise God. And this is isolated, though. This isn't in the world. This is isolated. This is in the Middle East. And in the Middle East, this coalition is, is developed. And it's not going to be 99% the United States. We're talking about a coalition that wants, to wipe the, that wants to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. And so there is going to be a coalition of fighters. And they're going to be well armed. And they are going to be not very well trained, probably. But they're going to be well armed. And there's going to be a lot of them. And God is going to protect Israel. There is going to be, it is a battle like, like um, if we, were, if we were watching it, if we were there, and maybe we'll see it, I'm not sure. But if we were there, we'd say, wow, World War III, here it comes. 
That's, that's the magnitude of what, of what God's word tells us is going to happen. And yet he protects Israel and he supernaturally protects Israel. And then what happens? Because this fighting goes on, people are dying, it's ugly, it's massive, Israel is still standing, and you know they're scared. It's happening all around them, because it looks to them, I'm sure, like at any second, even with these things happening, uh, they could just be next. They could just, they could just succumb to all of this. It's tribulation. So the Jews know they're going to go through this then? <coughs> now that's a good question because how do how do the Jews then interpret some of the interpret of some of the Old Testament prophecies not exactly the same way you and I would and why is that They don't have the Holy Spirit. And that's for the same reason that when Jesus came, they rejected Jesus. Okay? And there's a whole other study. But but we can see where God has hardened their heart. So God is in this. Okay? God is in this. And so not only is he protecting them, his people, but they don't see it for what it truly is. Okay? Arrogance. Pride. All of those attributes that are negative attributes of of human nature. Okay, am I prideful? Yeah. Do I need to work on that? Absolutely. Am I arrogant? I hope not, but probably. Um, and so, and are they? Yes. I, Israel is thinking that. Whoo! We got this. We got this. Okay. So, is God really in it for Israel? Well, some may know. Some may not. Some may know, some may not. The point is, God has protected them from all of this. Even the pestilence, which is which is the Ebola of their, of this time. Maybe it, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe that's the beginning. I don't want to scare you or anything, but I mean, it makes me think. It makes me think. Um, the point is is that is that Israel is protected. God supernaturally protects them. It's mind-boggling. And some are going to say, ah. It's because we're bad. We're bad. We got this. Okay? So they're not going to see it supernaturally from the same perspective that you would see it as God has revealed it to us in Scripture through the Holy Spirit. So here they are in all of this chaos, and there's a war going on. And so now what has to happen? Because it's a huge war, like we haven't seen before in that region. Peace can now come. And so there will be, as we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, there will be this man that that rises up. And what does he do? He brokers a deal. And what a perfect time to broker a deal. Because A, Israel is still standing. And B, the Gentiles that have been warring against them, turned the war against themselves, decimating themselves, God-ordained, decimating themselves, they're both looking for a peace deal. I'm tired of being this scared. Okay? I'm tired of being this scared. 
So, so the Arabs, the Muslims, the, 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 the Jews, they're, they're, they're both ready. They're just ready. And this guy comes on the scene with power. And everybody buys into it. He's strong. Remember we looked at what his attributes are? He can speak with silk words. And he convinces them that even as an Eskimo, they should buy a refrigerator. I mean, that's, he's good. All right? He's really good. And he brokers the deal. The deal gets brokered. And so when I said a couple of weeks ago that the first part of the tribulation is relatively benign, this is how it starts. It starts relatively benign, although I believe that this war is going to take place in, in quote-unquote, the tribulation period, the tribulation period being defined as after the church is removed. Okay? Now, there may be a period of time, and there's some, there's some speculation on this from a theological point of view, whether there's a period of time um, before, the, before the tribulation starts and after the church is raptured, just like there's some, some conjecture, if you will, about after the tribulation is over and, and, and Christ comes, that there's, a, there's a little period of time that the Bible isn't real clear about. And so some people think that there's a, like a 75-day period. We'll get into that later. But the point is, is that it happens. The deal is brokered. And then what happens? Peace. And the temple gets built. At this point, it's the only point in history that logically makes sense for the temple to get rebuilt. And the temple, the temple must get rebuilt. And we looked at this last week, and it gets rebuilt where? All right, at the Dome of the Rock. But they're willing to compromise. They must be willing to compromise because we're not told exactly. But it either gets built on top of the mosque, which is the Dome of the Rock, which is right now, uh, you know, that's the most, uh, that's blasphemy if you're, if you're a Muslim. Okay? That just can't happen. If that were to happen now, that World War III would take place. Okay? And, but there's this, there's this peace deal. And everybody's going to say, okay, it's just probably for a time. I don't know. But... Now is the time. And so the Jews are going to be able to rebuild the temple. Because that's what they want. And then what's going to happen right after that? They're going to not only rebuild the temple, it's going to happen fast, according to Romans. Things are going to happen quickly. They're going to build this thing, and we don't know how big. Okay, It may not be Solomon's temple. It may be the smaller version of it. But we know it's going to happen quickly. And then they're going to reinstitute sacrificial, the sacrificial system of things. Because those Orthodox Jews want to go right back to what they had. Okay, because they, they got they got dispersed. They were gone. Now they're back, but they don't have their temple. Now they're going to be back and they're going to have their temple and they're going to be feeling pretty darn good about themselves. Because they just won a war. Or at least they think they won the war. Who won the war? God won the war. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. There is peace. The temple is being built. But what? is happening in the minds and the attitudes and the hearts of their enemies. Nothing has changed. The Antichrist has ushered in this peace and yet nothing else changed. But what else has to happen during the tribulation period? Well, the Antichrist is going to defile the temple. And even before that, what's going to start? 
the Antichrist puts an end to the sacrifice because we see in Scripture that, they, that he is the abomination that causes desolation, which means that he comes to after abolishing, after the Jews have been going, whoo finally, finally. Now they're waiting for Messiah. They got the system back in place, and there is a sacrificial system in place, and things are, things are, uh, don't you all kind of want to go back to where things were good when you thought they were good? Don't we all want to do that? That's what they want to do, and that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And so, and, and yet the Antichrist, who ushered in this, this peace treaty, is gonna, he's going to stop all that. But what's going to happen before that even takes place? Who's the other key central figure in this tribulation period in terms of making things happen? God. God, as we saw earlier, has a plan. And the just, loving God, the one that we serve, is going to be initiating his plan. And what do we know from the book of Revelation is his plan? He wins. <laughs> he wins. And, but specifically, what is God going to do during the tribulation. Bring his, bring his people to him. He's going to bring his people to him. That's a result. But what's physically going to be happening? Oh, well, the judgment. 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 Thank you. God's <laughs> wrath and God's just judgment is going to be unleashed. Now, this is hard teaching. Why? Why is God's judgment and God's wrath that is going to be poured out on the world, why is that hard? Why is it hard teaching? Because we think of him as a loving God. Yeah. But didn't you say earlier that, that his, his judgment is out of love? Isn't, I think that's what Olivia said. How can that... Is that... Can, you ever have to punish your children? Did you hate them? No. Of course not. So, can God be just? Yes. Can God be loving? Yes. Do God's attributes ever change? Never. And he reveals in his word exactly what he's going to do. And what he calls them in the book of Revelation <coughs> is the judgments. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments are poured out on an evil and a sinful and a disobedient world. And who is in the world at the time? Mostly non believers. Jews and Gentiles, mostly non-believers. We're going to see where the believers come from. But there is going to be a wrath that next week we are going to spend probably, uh, we're going to spend some time, maybe one week. Because it's easier if we don't spend too much time on God's wrath. 
But we have to understand that we're not there. And we have to understand that God is just. And we have to understand in a very physical way how he administers his judgment on the earth. And the book of Revelation is where we get what happens. The prophets tell us what's going to happen. And then the book of Revelation tells us with a high degree of specificity. I mean a high degree of specificity what God's judgment and wrath looks like on the face of the earth. And we will all be able to relate to what God's judgment looks like because he gives it to us in graphic detail in each one of these judgments. And they are judgments of seven. And it starts, we're going to end, but here. But uh, next week, we're going to see that it starts with the Lord Jesus in heaven being the only one that is identified as being worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll. And what does the number seven represent in Scripture? Completeness and perfection. The perfect one, the only perfect one, is the one that God uses to open the seven perfect seals of his perfect judgment and his perfect wrath that is going to be poured out on the world at that time and those living will be going through it. And so next week next week we're going to look at those at those judgments in detail and we're going to look at where we are and we're going to look at whether or not we're in heaven and are going to be aware of and will God reveal to us what is going on because he's revealing it to us now and he's going to use us for his purposes. And I want to lose this because it's really important. What's important is, is that as it is revealed to us now and we understand how important it is and that Olivia... The theologian who said that it is out of God's love that this is actually taking place. We have to understand that because it will impact how we interact with not only our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, but our community and everybody that we that we come in contact with. Because if we understand God God's wrath, it will impact how we understand God's love. That must be shared. Because some people are going to relate to God's love. That's how I came to Christ. I never, it blew me away when I found out that there even was that kind of love. I didn't understand love to begin with. And when I found out God loved me, it changed my life. Some people resonate with it the other way. God is just out of love. And how horrific it would be to be separated from Him for an eternity. And this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. So that will be next week. We will start by taking a look at how just God is and the specificity with which he is going to to dish out his judgment on the earth to deal with the evil 
and the sin that exists. Amen?